Amen. Amen. Let's, Amen. let's welcome Brett. Amen. Come on. Amen. Amen. Thank you, family. Uh, when Michael asked me uh, two weeks ago, do you have a word from the Lord? I, I just kind of told him, yeah, I've been getting rev. I haven't been writing anything down in sermon form. He said, okay, I, I understand. And then uh, we had a phenomenal Wednesday night uh, presence encounter. It was beautiful. And um, Michael came up to me afterwards and he said, now you have two options. You can either preach this upcoming Sunday, which was last week, or you can preach the week after. And I said, uh, I'll, I'll preach the week after. I'll preach the week after. And, and the moment uh, Michael and I got done having that conversation, I was driving home. Um, I usually call Taylor after our Wednesday nights. I'm just trying to think. I've been getting alone with you. And you have been speaking beautiful utterances to me. Which word would you like me to draw from? And I, I felt in my spirit that I was supposed to share my life calling with you all. Um, and that's generational legacy. Um, and we just got out of 16 or 13 weeks out of Song of Solomon and six weeks out of communion. The word of this house is Intimacy. It always has been and always will be. And so the Lord told me, I want you to share generational legacy birth out of intimacy. And the moment he said that, I said, okay, all right, Lord, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take my iPad, I'm going to take my computer, and I'm going to grab my Bible. And you and I, we're going to get alone. And when I get alone, you're going to just unpack this word and I'm just going to write it down. And it's going to go beautifully without a hitch. I got alone. I was sitting in my office on the floor and... <sighs> Lord, what do you want to say? And it's not blank now, but it was blank. It was a blank for a good couple of days. And it was still blank this week. Tuesday, it was still blank. Wednesday, I said, Lord, listen. I know you said you wanted me to share on generational legacy, birth out of intimacy. You've given me a word not... I, I humbly bind you to that word that you're going to speak through me. You said you would. So I'm asking, if you just give me a little couple notes, it's all I need. And nothing, nothing. So I'm like, you know what, I just, I'm just going to start typing. I started, started toiling, started striving, started getting out of rest, getting out of peace, because I was trying to produce a word that he didn't want me to produce. He just wanted me to open my mouth and it flowed through me. And I, I got myself so worked up. I got myself in a, in a place of a little anxiety. I remember being on the phone and Tay's like, what, you know, are you okay? What's wrong? I said, I'm stressed out. I'm nervous. I want his word to be proclaimed above my own. I want him to be made famous ahead of me. And he honors that. He knows my heart. And so Thursday, I had work off at the golf course. We didn't have anything going on. I woke up. Uh, I was texting Dr. Rob, and we were working on some things for the ministry. And I was sitting there typing at my computer, working away. And I, I knew, I just, I felt in my spirit, I was not at rest. I was not at peace. I was not where he's called me to be, in shalom. And I recognize that in his presence, there's perfect peace. So when there's not peace, I need to take a look at my life and see what's missing. And it's him. He was missing because I got out of rest. I got out of the one who provides me such rest and such peace. And I, I thought to myself, no longer. I cannot live like this. I cannot live out of peace, out of rest. I cannot live out of intimacy. So I turned on some, some worship pads. Pastor Chad Bohai out of California, Santa Maria, California, he said, all you got to do is just turn on a worship pad and just let the songs flow from your heart. You don't have to have words to sing to. You don't have to have words to pray. Just sing what's on your heart. I, I shut off the lights. I closed the door. I laid out on the floor. I had my Bible on one side, my iPad on the other. I was double fisting paper towels. I was crying so hard. I was snot bubbling so bad. And it took like 30 seconds, man, for it to just well out of me for a cry to be released from me, saying, God, I just want you. I just need you. You're the only one who satisfies. You're the only one who can proclaim a word. I'm just your vessel, God. Use me. We were alone 
hour and a half. I, it flew by. I don't know what happened. I, I, don't, I still don't have the words, really. All I know is it's beautiful, and I, I'm glad I get to experience it every day of my life. And he told me, he told me to write this, ahead of everything else in the word, rest, breathe. You have become one with me. It's not your word. You are the mouthpiece for eternity. Open your mouth and let the words branded on your heart come forth. And I remember the peace that came over me in that moment. Knowing I'm your boy in whom you're well pleased. And God, I didn't have to strive for a word. I didn't have to struggle to write it out, but I just had to trust you and you are so faithful. So I pray today you hide me behind your word. I thank you for this one-on-one relationship, intimate life that we have with each other. I thank you that you call me to meet you in the chamber room behind the veil of life so you can speak your words to me. And I thank you for the peace, for the rest that you provide. I thank you for the words that will well up out of me that are from you. I bless you, Jesus. Amen. Um, I remember when I was 13 years old, I was sitting at the counter in my house uh, back in Kansas, and... um, we had uh, mom, dad, and Taylor was, you would have been sophomore or junior in high school. And, and so we were traveling part-time. We were the weekend warriors. We weren't quite, um, we, we weren't full-time yet. We, weren't, we were going out for a couple days, coming back, going out for a couple days, coming back. You understand. And I remember one night, um, I don't know if it was a school night, but I remember I was up late. I shouldn't have been, but I was. And I was out um, at the bar. And I, uh, I was eating, snacking on something, and I had, uh, I just had YouTube open, and in my recommended, I had a, um, a minister by the name of Todd Friel from Wretched Radio, and I don't know if any of you know that it's not important. What's important was what Todd was doing. He was on the uh, corner at a college campus, and he was proclaiming, he was preaching, he was sharing the word of God. Um, and there was young adults who would come up to him and ask him questions. Some of them would try to argue with him. Todd would just flow in love and just speak what he knew uh, was in the Word and what he knew God had spoken to Todd. And um, this was probably the first time I'd ever even opened up a notebook when it came to the Lord. Before this time, it was, I understand that my family ministers, my parents minister. I understand that I need to be at church on Sunday, occasionally Wednesday night if I'm good, once a month. And Christmas and Easter, you have to be there. That's what I knew. And so I opened up my journal, um, and I was just writing. I was just writing. I was just, I was going after it. I don't even know what I was writing now. I, I don't even know where the notebook is. It doesn't matter. But I remember I was writing, and that was the important thing. I was allowing him to speak to me and me to receive it and write it, and now it to be written on my heart. And what he said, and I, looking back, I know it's the voice from the Lord. At that moment, I didn't know was, Brett, I want you to do this. I want you to go and proclaim to the nations, to the generation, to your generation, to the generation behind you, the glory of my goodness. And I want you to usher them back to my glory. That's the call of my heart. And thankfully, the Lord surrounded me with many mighty men and women of the word of the Spirit to surround me, to cover my calling, because I knew, I didn't know, he knew, and Beelzebub knew, that if I was not covered, if I was not surrounded, he would try to snatch that calling, and who knows, who knows the fruit that will be lost, and so gratefully, I had people coming around me, surrounding me with prayer, with love, with impartation, with prophetic utterances, and here we are, six years later, haven't quite captured all generations, but it's one fruit at a time. It's one soul at a time. And slowly this basket's going to start rising up and that fruit is going to be spilling over. And so I want to share, I want to share with my family, I want to share with my family, my heart, and I want you to capture this. I want you to catch hold of this thing of the importance of generational legacy, that it's not just you, it's not just your family, it's your children's children. It's your neighbor's children. It's your church potty's children. It's the strip club stripper's children. It's the apartment complex's children. 
It is the entire city of Louisville's children, the nation of America. Listen, listen. Everything is at stake. I want you to realize this. We are in the battle between good and evil, and we have the opportunity to be on the winning side. He's already won the victory. All we have to do is yoke up with him, and we are victorious with him. And listen, he wants to, he wants to capture, capture the gaze of young men and women everywhere. He wants to capture. I love looking over and seeing the Cox family because when I first met them, when they first came here, these kids' eyes were not lit up the way they are today. The Lord has done a beautiful thing in these children. And in Michaela, I love hearing her sing. This is the second week in a row that she's been shouting. I love it. I love you. I'm proud of you. Everything is at stake. We need to steward this calling. We need to pass it on to the generations after us. So the scripture, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me. I love the word. I need it more. Um, Gen- uh, Genesis 17, ah, verse 1, verse 2. Second half of verse 1. This is God speaking to Abraham. This is where he was establishing covenant. This is the reason why we are where we are at today. Um, because of our joint inheritance, we get to be included in the covenant God made with Abraham. So this is important. This is important. Everything's important, but this is important. All right, Genesis 17, 1 and 2 says, I am God Almighty, second half of verse 1. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant with, between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. So that's the verse we're going to hold on to. That's the scripture we're going to hold on to throughout this entire um, declaration. He calls us to be blameless, and then he promises to establish his covenant with me and multiply me exceedingly. And where intimacy comes into play is right here. We cannot be blameless and holy unless we know the one who is blameless and holy. If I don't have a perfect example of one who is holy, I myself cannot be holy. If I'm gazing at a man, if my life is sitting here every week and looking at Michael, and that's the only image I have of Jesus, which is a really good image, but Michael is not completely holy and he is not completely blameless. We are all growing. We are going from glory to glory. This glory was good here, but this glory is going to be even better here. When we reach the other side of eternity, that's when we get to be perfectly holy and blameless with him, but we can seek after it now. So listen, if I'm searching and I'm looking at Michael and I'm trying to pull from his life so I can have a life with the Lord, it doesn't work. I have to be yoked up with the one who is life, who is holiness, who is blamelessness. So in order to be yoked up with him, I have to become one with him. Um, Stick your finger in this uh, scripture here in Genesis 17. I want to move over to John 15, 1 through 6. I love this. Um, I'm in my fifth and sixth classes in the uh, course of study. Lord willing, I pass these classes. In June, I will be district licensed. Yes! Okay, check it out. Back in July, I took a class called New Testament Gospels, Biblical Interpretation, Hermeneutics, the fun stuff. Um, and I had this outstanding professor who just happened to be one of my spiritual grandfathers, uh, Dr. Craig Wesley Wrench. And if you've heard Craig teach... He is really in love with the Lord, and it's kind of scary. Um, and because he's so in love with the Lord, this word has been so written upon his heart. It's so beautiful. His Bible is, like, peeled over, like, pages are getting tore out. He has to keep it in a Ziploc baggie so he doesn't lose it everywhere. And, I mean, the guy carries, like, suitcases of books everywhere we go. I love... <laughs> I love when I was with Dan, uh, with mom and dad, and Jane, Judy, or whenever we were all on the road together, um, and Craig would be walking out of the, uh, the hotel room, and he had, like, those two luggage carts. So he had his clothes on his back, and, like, one here, and then all the two luggage carts just full of books and Bibles. I said, Craig, what's in there? He goes, my journals are in there. I'm like, okay, what's those ones for? He goes, well, that's the index for my journals. <laughs> what? He said, I've been walking with the Lord for 60 years, 60 plus years. He's given me a lot of words that I never want to lose hold of. I said, so what's the indexes for? He said, well, I got to know where to find them. Okay. 
Okay, Craig, I see where you're coming at. So Craig was teaching this class, and we had to write an exegetical paper. I don't know if many of you know what that means. I barely know what it means, and I'm in the course of study. So essentially, it's interpreting scripture. We'll just call it that. So in this exegetical paper, it was a 12-page paper. When he assigned it to me, it was grueling. I did not want to do this. Um, but the joy of the Lord is our strength. Anyways, the scripture that I was going to use was John 15, 1 through 6. And so I, I did a paper. I, I passed. So we did it. So John 15, 1 through 6. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire where they are burned. And this past couple weeks, I had this... um, beautiful illustration shown to me uh, by Pastor Doug Hopkins. He's over at uh, uh, Nicholasville Community Church of the Nazarene. Love him. One of the wisest men I know, um, and he loves the Lord. I love Doug. I honor him. He's one of my professors right now, so I really, really love him. Um, You'll catch that later. Um, And what Doug was saying, he he had this, uh, we were reading a book out of Watchman Nee, uh, by written, uh, written by Watchman Nee. And Nee had this beautiful illustration of a piece of paper with a person drawn on it. And you guys like this? This is me. There's my, there's my front pocket right there. And there's my short sleeve shirt. Um, I don't know if I have that many buttons, but I put it on there and I'm just in touchdown Jesus mode. Anyways, so this is me. And this is Jesus. We know that Jesus is the incarnation of the word. He's the word became flesh. He came down, dwelt among us. He is this in bodily form. So Jesus, Brett, Brett, Jesus. So check it out. When I am one in the vine, when I am grafted up with him, when I'm connected with him, with, um, with the nutrients flowing from the vine into my life where I receive his blessings, and his father, my father, is the one who comes and prunes it away. Everything Jesus experiences in the vine, I get to experience in him. So check it out. When Brett's in Jesus, Jesus and Brett are one. But when I'm really in Jesus, no one actually sees Brett. And when I'm in Jesus, check this out, gang. When I'm in Jesus, I get to experience everything he experienced on the earth then when he was walking among us and now when he's still walking among us. We just can't see him. I get to inherit. I get to experience the position of being a child of Abba. I get the same spirit that Christ, Abba, Father. My Papa and I, we are closer than any other person on this earth because he is my dad. I am his son. And a slave of the household does not get the words that the son gets to hear. He, he's in his, um, my soon-to-be in-law, Nanny Debbie. I love her. Listen, gang, if you came to the uh, Friendsgiving meal and had a hash brown casserole, boom, that woman right there. So let's hear it. Woo-woo! So I love Nanny. I love you. Thank you for being here. They drove all the way from Somerset today. I love them. My soon-to-be mother-in-law, my soon-to-be brother-in-law. I am blessed. They gave me a, uh, a recliner this past week. Oh, a lazy boy. It's 2018 edition. You throw that thing back and, oh, you are in heaven. And when I'm sitting in the office, I'll hear of the legs getting folded up. And I'm like, Colin, is that the sound of my chair in there? You, you bet it is. You bet it is. I'm like, okay, I'll let you, I'll let you enjoy it. But anyways, I believe my papa... His throne may not look like a lazy boy, but it does rock. I believe it. And, and when it rocks, when it rocks, there's a boy in his arms. And the boy who's in his arms is me. And he whispers that love. You are my son in whom I'm well pleased. 
they will listen to you. You will proclaim my word. Your seal has, my seal has been put upon your heart. You've captured my name. You're no longer Brett Wright. You're Brett of Yahweh. You're Brett of Heavenly Father. So I get to inherit that when I'm in Jesus, when I'm in the vine, and there's nothing like it. There's so many people who have had terrible earthly fathers, and there's so many people who have had wonderful earthly fathers, but check it out. Men are infallible. They're fallible. They will mess up, and that is, that's just the facts. None of us are perfect yet. We are becoming more like him, but none of us are perfect yet. I have a, um, an amazing father. His name is Terry Wright. He is probably the greatest human being that walks this earth right now. I'm just going to say that. I love my dad, and he's watching right now. I love you. I miss you. Um, my dad and I have such a cool relationship where he and I have inside jokes that mom and Taylor don't have with me, that Baylor doesn't have with me. My dad and I, we connect and click over things that nobody else gets to click with. But my dad is not perfect. My dad gets tired. He gets weary. Sometimes my dad isn't as slow to speak, as quick to listen as he wants to be. But I get to inherit a father who is perfect. When I am one with him, when I am one with Jesus, I've obtained a heavenly father who only has the best in mind for me. I also get to inherit, I also get to experience the authority that Jesus walked in and he currently walks in. Listen, let me, here, let me go to this next point. I also, am, I also experience the power that he hosted and that he currently hosts. So not only, not only do I have the authority, the badge saying I can use the power, but I have the handgun that has the power in it. If you, if you, um, if you've just robbed a store, I know none of you, I hope none of you have, if you've just robbed a store and you have a security officer or a police officer that says, stop, holds up their badge, you're like, okay, all right. You know, I'm, you're not going to stop. But if they say, stop, stop, you're going to stop. Not only do you have the power, and check it out, if you don't have this badge and you're going around wielding power, bad things happen. If you don't have the authority that the Heavenly Father has given you, the power that you walk in could, hmm. you know what I'm saying. It could, it could mess up some lives. We need to be careful. But when he's given us the authority, being one with him, he gives us the authority. When we have the authority, we can correctly wield the power to everyone around us. So no longer is it a power that tears down, destroys, but it's a power of love and peace. I get to impart love everywhere around me. So I get, I get to experience that because I'm one with the vine. I'm one with him. I'm in him. I don't want you to forget this beautiful guy in here. I'm in him. And with the power and authority, I get to experience the signs and wonders he experienced. Um, and when I experience the signs and wonders, I also experience the same persecution he experienced. Jesus never fit into the status quo. I want you guys to realize something. This is historic. There were about five sects in, the, um, in Jerusalem, in Israel at the time of Jesus. Sadducees, Pharisees, Herodians. Those were like our tax, the tax collectors who submitted to Caesar even though they were Jews. They had zealots. Simon the zealot. These were the guys who take the kingdom by force. The Messiah is coming and he's going to be a warring military leader and we're going to take back the kingdom. And then there were the Essenes. The Essenes were the guys, they're, um, they almost look like monks today. They were the ones who were out in the wilderness. Um, you could almost call John the Baptist an Essene. He was the one who was away. And they believed that the Lord, the Messiah, was coming um, but what we need to do is separate us ourselves from the world so we can be pure and righteous when he comes. So there were five different groups when Jesus came, and Paul said it was the perfect timing when Jesus came. It was. It is. And each group tried to fit Jesus into what they saw the Messiah to be. And Jesus was not a puzzle piece that fit into their puzzle. They had a mindset of one thing. Jesus was an entirely different thing. 
Yes, he is a warring king who will come and overthrow the kingdom of darkness. He will come and reign triumphant. Yes, he is this holy. This is what the Pharisees believe. He is this holy Messiah who understands the law. He is not bound by the law. He's righteous and holy, but he's not bound by the law. Neither are you and I. The law is what condemns you to death, okay? So if we try to obey the law, it doesn't work because you're not perfect. You're not, you're not able to follow the law in its totality. But one came who spread his arms out like this, who had nails in each hand, and his blood covers your fault beneath the law. So a lot of people say, I don't need the law. That's old covenant. This, we're in the new covenant. Jesus has came, and I, I am free. Yes, you are free. We need to recognize under the law, we are bound, failing sinners. The law is not useless now. The law is what points us to the one who saves us, okay? All right, all right, that's free. That wasn't even in the notes. And so each, each group tried to fit Jesus in their idea of Messiah. And when Jesus didn't, they came against him. Right? The Pharisees beat him. The Sadducees spat upon them. Spat upon him, sorry. Um, and as a totality, they crucified him. You are not going to fit into the status quo of what people think a Christian is. And check this out. You're not going to be a bull in a china shop that wrecks up everything. But you are going to be somebody who walks in love. And when somebody comes against you to get a rise out of you, you'll respond in this love that ticks people off. Because you walk in a peace that they have never understood. You're going to shake it up. Mm, never mind. Never mind. Hold on. Jesus, get me back on track here. There are some people that think Christianity looks a certain way. Hmm. A Christianity that isn't messy, that is um, structured, organized. He's the God of order. I believe there's order. In relationship, there's order. But there's an idea of Christianity that's not quite what he intended it to look like. And we can see that in Acts, in the history of the church. We can see that in the lifestyle of Jesus. It gets messy. It gets messy. There's times where unconventional methods are used. Not in the wrong way, but it gets messy. And so people don't like that mess because they just wipe the floor up of the last mess that happened 50 years ago. And so a new mess that comes, oh, you got to be kidding me. We just had a split 50 years ago, and here's Brett proclaiming the totality of the gospel that I can be yoked up with him every single day, and I can flow in signs and wonders everywhere I walk. Come on, Brett. We just wiped up the floor when the church crumbled 50 years ago. Split. That's what happens. That's what happens. When you proclaim the message of the gospel, people get upset at times. Okay? Just understand that. So you experience the same persecution he experienced. As he died on the cross, we die. As he lived, as he triumphed over the grave, we live and triumph over the grave. Oh, so good. Colossians 3.3, 3, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. Your life is hidden in Christ. You do not see Brett. Brett is hidden in Christ. And check this out. Check this out. This is cool. This is, this is cool. If I have... If, if Brett is not in totality, hidden in Jesus, if not everything is submitted to the true vine, there's one who comes to steal fruit and destroy fruit who will come and try to pluck me out and take me out of oneness with him. If my mind is not fully submitted to him, he will have a heyday in my mind. If my strength, my body, my arms are not submitted to him, he will wreak havoc in my body. Are you with me? This is good stuff. Like, we have to be one with him. Anything that's not one with him has a target painted on the back that hell can come after. And when you are hidden in him, you may have a target on your back, but there is something that's keeping the darts of the enemy from hitting you. We need to be one with Jesus. Come on now. Come on. 
All right. Okay. I'm getting excited. Sorry. All right. Whatever is not in him, whatever is exposed, the enemy can come to pick off and attack. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. When I'm one with him, he is constantly speaking to me. Do you believe that? He is constantly whispering things to you. He's whispering words of love. He's whispering words of encouragement. He's whispering words of discipline, of never guilt, shame, or condemnation. But he is loving. He wants to guide. We have a perfect path that he's called us to walk. And when I'm over here, he wants to gently bring me back here. He's constantly speaking these things to me. I need to meditate, rest on those words he's speaking to me because those are the words of life. We need to lean back into the words that he's spoken to us. We need to allow his word to challenge our life, our experiences, instead of us challenging him with our experience. Until my experience aligns with the word, I need to continue to allow it to challenge me. And let, me let me show you something. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, it's present tense, he's done it, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, that's just one verse of promise. There is a, a ton of promises in here. That's just one that, Lord help me draw out, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Does my life look like that? Have I been blessed? Do I walk in the blessing of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? Okay? In heaven, there's no sickness. There's no pain. There's no tears. There's no sorrow. Right now in Brett, there comes a time when there's sickness, when there's pain, when there's tears, when there is sorrow. Paul says in Ephesians that he's blessed me with everything that's in heaven. Why have I not walked it out yet? You, may, you understand? My experience is different from the word he says. Now, if I let my experience determine, that word's not true. If you think one promise in this Bible is not true, you unravel the integrity of the entire word. Everything he's spoken in here is true. It's sealed on the tablets of time, of eternity. These things will never fail. The word never fades away. And even when earth passes away, heaven passes away, we will still remember the words he spoke because he's constantly speaking them. If we do not let the promises determine our life and we let our life determine his promises, we uh, give Jesus the short end of the staff, if you will. He's perfect in all of his ways. If I allow my experience to say otherwise, I need to, I, something's got to change. Would you agree with me? Perfect. Thank you. I'm glad you said yes. And just like the good vine dresser does, he will come, he will prune, and he will shape my experiences, my life, until I'm a perfect reflection of him and his word. When I allow my experience to be challenged by his word, he will come and, like the good potter knows the clay, he will shape me to where I'm this beautiful vase where he will come and prune away the weeds so I can be this beautiful rose garden. When I allow my experience to be covered by his word, that's where victory is found. When I allow my experience to cover his word, that's where we lose it. That's where stress, anxiety comes. Last week, if I, if I would have stayed in a place of I'm stressed out, I don't have anything on my iPad, I don't have any notes to share, that's me covering his word. That's me covering what he's promised me, that I will speak through you. If I allowed that to come and cover me, saying, Brett, I will speak through you, that's where I find victory. That's where I find rest. Hmm. Um, I want to tell you guys something that happened a couple weeks ago. Uh, we were coming home from Wednesday night prayer. I picked up Taylor from work at Walgreens. 
And so uh, when she dropped me off at my SUV uh, at Walgreens, I started to get on the highway, and I heard, dun, 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 and my car was vibrating. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't um, something that normally vibrates. And I called my dad, because um, they had it for years before, they ha uh, before I had it. And he said, it could be this, it could be this. Essentially, what needs to happen, you need to take it in, get it looked at by a professional. Um, so I did that. Um, and I, I got a phone call at lunchtime. And check this out. This morning, uh, this is Friday now. So I took it in Friday morning, but before I took it in Friday morning, I had a beautiful time with the Lord. Um, I worshiped him. He loved on me. I loved on him. We had this beautiful time. He reminded me who I am, whose I am. And so Friday, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm steady. I will not be shaken. We sang it today. There's, you know, um, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. We sing that song when you walk into the room. We sing songs over and over. We preach words over and over because that's the message of our hearts, guys. I will not be shaken if I build my life upon him. And I, that morning, I had the foundation of my home was sturdy. It was set. It was built upon the rock. I got a phone call at lunchtime uh, from the guys at the mechanic shop. Um, I asked them to do one thing, uh, just change a couple things. I won't go into it. And they said, we will change those things, but listen, they, there's a lot more that needs to be done. Um, and I'm expecting one bill that's only about this long, and the bill he quoted me was about this long. Um, and I said, that bill's going to be that long? He goes, yeah, that long. I'm like, okay. Well, can I come in, just check it out? Um, just to get an eye on everything, just to see what you guys were seeing. They said, sure, no problem. I drove in. Uh, my buddy was driving me that day from work, and he was right. The bill needed to be that long. I said, you know what? It's okay. I have it. The Lord's provided it for me. Let's just do it. Let's go after it. Let's, let's fix up that big, beautiful, becoming love mobile. Let's do it. And so they got it running, they got it nice, and man, when I rolled out of there, oh man, it hadn't ridden that nice since I got the car. Oh yeah. Anyways, I picked up Taylor that night, and even she said, it has never ran this good. And I said, honey, you're right, it has never ran this good. Um, but I had such a peace. I was driving out of there knowing my bank account just got a huge dent in it, but my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Whew. Everything I need, he provides it to me. And he's so faithful. And if you look, if looking at my bank account this week, you would never realize the dent that was in it the week before. Because when I trust in him, he comes and replenishes that what was lost. And oh, I'm so grateful. If, uh, anyways, you understand. And, and so I drove down to Somerset the next day, or the uh, afternoon, and uh, my fiance and I had engagement pictures the next day. Um, and she had this beautiful, beautiful uh, romper on. And oh my word. <sighs> when she walks into the room, my heart skips a beat every time. <sighs> because I've experienced to be the bride of Christ, I can then treat my bride the way she deserves to be treated. I can be Ephesians 4, 25. Husbands, love your brides the way Christ loves the church. And so when she walks in, I see this beautiful girl. And I say, here, honey, let me go grab my shoes out of the car. I come back and I say, honey, did I bring my shoes inside? No, I don't see them. Hold on, let me go check outside again. Uh, what do I say? I just forgot my shoes two hours away. And we have engagement photos in an hour. Honey, I uh, left my shoes at home, and I only have bad tennis shoes to wear, and I was out of sorts. I was shaken because I did not get alone with the one who's unshaken. The, next, the day before, what should have been more shaking than losing a pair of shoes I had such a peace. The day I wasn't one with him, something silly as leaving a pair of dress shoes at home riled me up. 
If I am not in the vine, I don't experience the fruit. I experience death and decay. I experience stress, unrestlessness. And I had to repent to my uh, bride-to-be because of the way I acted, because I was acting out of a place of unrest and stress. And she does not deserve that. That is the daughter of the Most High King. She deserves to be honored. I had to repent to her. But what if I was alone with the one who was unshaken that morning? I was steady, and I came, and I said, Honey, I forgot my shoes. Let me go make it right. Instead of stomping around the house, stressing out, I had to run to Kroger. Uh, Nanny, coming in clutch again, had given me a Kroger gift card that morning. And, and, the, and listen, this Kroger in Somerset, they have an E Kroger and a Super Kroger. And check it out. I went to the Super Kroger, and boom! I got these shoes for $30 with a $30 gift card. Woo! So I paid a dollar in tax. Anyways, it worked out. I was stressed over nothing. I was stressed over nothing. Who looked at me on Friday, the day I got my car worked on, and wondered and marveled at the peace I walked in? The guy literally told me, now, son, you're paying a lot of money here. We appreciate you paying all this money here. We, we thank you. Dude, even the guy who was running the counter, who's supposed to make me pay more money, recognized, this is a college kid, and we're, uh, that's a big price tag he's taking care of. I said, it's no problem. You guys did a wonderful job. Thank you for taking care of me. And I loved him the way he deserved to be loved. There was a guy literally kicking the dirt before me because he didn't have the right tires that he wanted. He experienced death and decay already. I did not need to come behind and say, you know, I only asked for one thing, and you guys did a whole thing that increased my bill like this. I said, you know what, buddy? It's okay. Thank you for taking care of me. What did he think? And I was wearing my River City Hope shirt that day, so they were probably like, whew, that's a good church. Anyways, what was he thinking when I was walking in the joy and love that I am after paying this much? And then the next day, when I'm running around Kroger, uh, peeling into the parking lot, who looked at me and said, man, who ate that guy's lunch? He woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. I don't, gratefully I wasn't wearing my University Hope Church shirt. But if he goes to church, I don't know if I want to go to a church like that because if someone's that stressed out over shoes, who knows what else? So who, who was pushed away by my death and decay instead of the peace that I was walking in? Who is watching? Here, come stand by me, Trenton. If Trenton is watching me and he sees somebody who is walking in death and decay and stressed out and unrest, what is he going to think? Now, Brett's, Brett's an associate pastor. Brett's at River City Hope Church. He says he's a Christian, but he's at unrest. I don't think I want to be a Christian if that means unrest. How am I negatively, you can sit down, bub. How am I negatively affecting the generations around me. So that goes into the second half. We're going to talk about generational legacy now. We are not going to forget the intimacy because without the intimacy, we fail. Without being yoked up the one, with the one who's victorious, we don't have victory. Genesis 17. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Be yoked up with me. I will establish my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you exceedingly. I had some fun with this scripture. Do you know what the word exceedingly means here? It means mm, out of the norm. Moving past the normal. So not only will he multiply me, he will multiply me better than what anyone or I could have ever imagined. I I may have had an idea of how much he's going to multiply me. Abram mean... um, Anyway, I won't go into that one. Lord, help me. Um, He is going to increase me more than I could have ever imagined. Any thought that I may have? Oh, you know, we we may have this type of ministry. We might see this fruit or who knows, God. When he establishes covenant with me, that fruit, it's multiplied increasingly. It's exceedingly, it's abundant. So that's what he wants to do that among us, among our kids, among our ministries. He wants to multiply it. He wants to increase it exceedingly. Yahweh made covenant with Abraham. They had that close relationship. He's not going to make covenant with anybody. He did choose. He did choose Abraham, who was not the strongest king, 
who did not have the most land, but he was the most ready. When he made covenant with Abraham, there was at times Abraham's household wondered what they were doing, but trusted Abraham, who then trusted God. An example, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, here I am, my son, Abraham said. Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said this in response to Isaac. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked together. Isaac did not understand why they did not have a ram or a lamb on their shoulder to, about, to make sacrifice. He might have had an idea, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to me while we're out making a fire? But he walked with Abraham anyways. He trusted Abraham anyways because he knew the one his father had made covenant with. Priests, fathers, and mothers, all of us, and if you don't have any children, you're in luck because there's children who need a parent. They may not be flesh and blood, but they are your legacy. We are called to be mediators. We hold on to God, and we hold on to our children. We hold on to our people. Until the people we're holding on to and God are holding on to each other. Check it out. Isaac, I don't know, we don't know yet, you know, in Scripture, we don't know what Isaac thought of the covenant that Abraham had made with God. We, we just don't know yet. I have an idea. Um, I have an idea. I won't share it because it's not Scripture. I don't want to add to Scripture. But Abraham was the one who made covenant with God. Isaac was Abraham's son. Here's Abraham, here's Isaac, here's Yahweh. When Abraham died, passed on his legacy, it became Isaac and God. Makes sense? Abraham drew the two together because of covenant, by staying blameless as God called him to be in 17. 17 17.1. When they are holding on to God, our job is not done. We are no longer the mediator but the encourager and the uplifter. Um, when I was planning, I wasn't planning, when I actually got over myself and allowed Father to write this word, um, he reminded me of when I ran track in uh, junior high. Um, and he reminded me of the relay team I was on. And I thought this was pretty cool. Um, check this out. Each member of a relay team runs in different stages but they finish together. Although you may not be running at the same time, you run together. You don't run alone. When you pass that baton, you either set your team up for success or failure. How you run determines how the person after you runs. Michael, Bob, um, Connor, will you come stand up here beside me? Bob, do you mind come stand up here, please? I didn't tell any of these guys. I told Michael, but... Bob, can you stand on the far um, left to the people right to me? Michael, stand right here. Me right here. Connor right here. How Bob runs the race, whether in victory or in failure, determines how he hands off the baton. You go ahead and hand it off. How he hands off the baton to Michael and whether Bob was running ahead of the pack or he was falling behind determines how hard Michael has to run. If Bob didn't make it, if Bob wasn't up to the cheese, man, if you didn't get to where you needed to be, Michael had to step up and do more to cover you. But what if Bob ran triumphantly in victory? He was ahead of the pack and Bob handed off that baton to Michael. Michael then has an idea, wait a second, if I run as hard, if not more, then what Bob did, I'll actually increase the gap from the people behind us. I'll actually increase our victory. So Michael, in turn, is going to run harder, not out of strife, but because he wants to win, because he wants to have victory. And when Michael is running, he's going to then hand it off to me, and how Michael runs determine how I'm going to run. And then when I get to the end here, if I trip, if I mess up, it will determine how Connor's going to run. Makes sense? We do it all together. And if Connor runs this race well, because us three ran it well. That is a victory for us all. That is not just a victory for Connor. That is a victory for me, for Michael, and for Bob. You guys can go sit down. Thank you. How you run your race in life 
determines how your son and daughter will run behind you. Michael prays this often. Bob prays this often. Our staff at River City, our people at River City pray this often. I pray my children's floor would be my ceiling. I pray they go farther and faster than I have ever been. That is a humility prayer. That is a humble prayer of a father who wants generational legacy instead of victory in one season and failure in the next. They want to see, they want to see this church, this people, these children, this calling thrive and blossom in ways that they could never imagine. They, and if Michael's running that well, if he's that humble, if he's that lowly, and he's in that much victory, imagine the victory I'm going to have when he hands that baton off to me. Imagine when he gives it to EJ, when the Perkins family legacy gets passed on to the eldest son. Imagine what Ethan's going to do with that thing, man. If Michael and April are triumphant, what's Ethan going to be? He's going to be what he's been taught to be, victorious, triumphant, one who runs the race well, who passes off the baton well. And when Ethan runs the race well, he's going to pass that on to his children well. You, as a father, as a mother, as a priest, for the time being, you may be the only glimpse that they get of the father. Until their hands meet, you need to be the perfect image of the one who is the image You need to be the reflection of the light until they capture the light themselves. Make sense? You, no pressure. You have everything riding on your shoulders, okay? You have everything riding on your shoulders. But praise God, praise God, it's not your yoke. It's my burden is easy. My yoke is light. It's not all on my shoulders. It's on his shoulders. When I'm yoked up with him, it's not my burden. It's our burden. It's his burden. I just get to be a part of it. And when I get that revelation, my son, my daughter's going to get that revelation. Their children is going to get that revelation. When you authentically reflect the image of the Father, your children will authentically reflect the image of the Father. The reason why this has not happened yet, we have not had generations who reflect the Father well. That is one of the saddest statements I have to say in my entire life. We have dropped the baton. We have dropped the ball. It is our job to correct it. Not us. Him. Us in him. He's going to correct it. He is going to correct where we dropped it. And now, you ask me, because we have generations who have not ran well, what if the generation before me did not hand the baton off well? What if I did not get a good inheritance from the people behind me? Praise God. I have an answer for you. Isaiah 43, 18 and uh, and 19. Behold, I do a new thing in you. The new has come, the old is gone. Praise God. If you want another scripture, I got one. Romans 8, 15, 17. Mm. We are joint heirs with Christ. We may not have inherited a good inheritance from the people behind us, but he has changed our inheritance entirely when we are one with him. Oh my gosh, I have a legacy from him that I can hand off to him, that I can hand off to her. Isn't that awesome? Behold, I do a new thing in you. We're born again. We have a new legacy to pass on. I had a, uh, I'm wrapping up here, but um, there was a poem that I saw. Um, It was so beautiful. I think it kind of puts a bow nicely on everything here. Let me just read it. Um, This is written by a, a uh, Rotarian, you know, somebody of the Rotary Club? Somebody from that, I don't know who, somebody wrote it. Somebody did, and it's good. A descendant drinks from wells he did not dig. An ancestor digs wells from which he will never drink. A descendant sits in the shade of a tree that he did not plant. 
an ancestor plants the seed of a tree in whose shade he will never sit. A descendant dances to the music he did not write. An ancestor writes music to which he can never dance. A descendant is born into a community he did not create. An ancestor creates a future community in which he will never live. Descendants, we are all born. But it is as ancestors we must die if our life is to be worth living. I have the opportunity to plant a seed in this very spot. And in my lifetime, that tree may only get to this high. And it may not provide the shade that I might think is adequate or usable. But a generation or two behind me, that tree is high. That tree is tall. And in the heat of life, they can come and sit under the shade that their ancestor planted. And because my ancestor was yoked up to the vine, that means he produced fruit. And as my children are sitting underneath that tree, they look up and they see a beautiful, juicy red apple. And they're hungry. And they take a bite of it. That is good fruit from the vine. That, that's life. That's not rotten. My ancestor was one with the vine. And he produced fruit that affected my life. Everything you do now as a father, as a mother, has the direct effect of how your children will experience life. The most important thought you have is who is God to me? And if God is loving father to you, if Jesus is the vine that I'm yoked up with, that is going to be the paradigm, the wineskin my children inherit. My father, my father knew God as heavenly Abba. I know God as heavenly Abba. My father hated God. He had wanted nothing to do with him. He only did evil. That's what God is to me, nothing but evil. You see the direct reflection. Every action has a direct consequence. You understand? Rhetorical question. How many of us would say today, the legacy that was given to me was not very good? The way Christ has been shown to me has not been good. And how many of us today would say, I may not have gotten the best legacy, but now I'm yoked up with the one who has the perfect legacy. I will do everything in my power to pass that on to my children, to pass that on to the children in my neighborhood, to the kids in my church. And I think, I think, I know, all it takes is one person to change the image of a legacy. If a legacy has been death and decay up until that point, man, those rights, they were rowdy bunch of drinking folks out in western Kansas. Farm folk, simpletons, they didn't do well. They knew God as a, as a uh, God who's only there on Sundays and not even Wednesday nights. But Brett Wright, and praise God, Terry and Melissa Wright, they knew God. They walked with him so close. And now, when someone thinks of the Wright family, they might vaguely remember the drinking, rowdy bunch of people who didn't know God, but the most prominent image they have in their mind is the ones who encountered Jesus. And now, a generation is seen as a victorious line, a line of nobility, of love. I 
am a prince of the most high king. That means my blood is royal blood. That means my son's blood is royal blood. That gives me joy. That gives me victory. Your generational legacy may not be good. But today is the day he's ready to rewrite the legacy. The lines have been distorted and perverted on your legacy. But he's here to make the path straight. Your legacy may be over here, and here's the perfect path, but he's going to gently bring it over here. I want you to stand with me, please. On your mind, I want you to think about who is coming after me. And I also want you to think about who came before me. I want you to think about what were you given. And I want you to think about what you want to give. I also want you to think about, because we cannot give a good generational legacy away, if we are not blameless, if we do not know the one who is blameless. And I want you to grasp this because this has been something that the Lord has been doing in my heart. I can do no thing outside of the vine. I can do nothing apart from him. My life is a failure outside of him. I will try, I will strive, I will fall. But when I'm in the vine... I will try. I may fall. He will catch me and correct my course. I want you to think right now. Am I in the vine? What does my fruit look like? Is my branch... Go ahead. Just I want you to start thinking, thinking of the Father right now because He's thinking about you. Think about the Father. Father, have I been yoked up with you? Jesus, have I been a part of your vine? And I want you to look at the branch called your life. Is it a branch that's dried up and withered? Is it a branch that's blossoming with life? And check it out. If it's not blossoming with life, if it is withered, there's no guilt, shame, or condemnation. What the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus came to restore. So Father, we're praying. Father, I thank you for the branches that have withered away, that have died, that you have swept away. And I thank you that where those old branches were, you are blossoming new life. I thank you that where it was a difficulty, a hassle to get before you, to get into the chamber room called your love, your presence, I thank you that it is the utmost desire of our life. I thank you that River City Revival family is marked by intimacy with you. I thank you that not only generation one of River City is marked by intimacy, but generation two, and generation three, four, and five. And I thank you that we are in the groundwork of your love, of your legacy here at River City. And I thank you. I thank you for the Wright family. I thank you for what has been handed off to me from Terry and Melissa Wright. But I thank you that through Taylor Wright and me, we are going to hand off something greater to our children. I thank you. I thank you for the ones who have no offspring of their own, who, but they, they think they don't have any. I thank you that the, the line may not be blood, but they have an opportunity to directly affect the ones around them. And I thank you for the burden to be called mother and father. Not out of pride. But Lord, they want to be a mediator. The one that holds, pulls your hand and their children's hands. There's people's hands together. Lord, I pray you help us to run this race well. And I thank you that the only way we will run it well is by knowing you knowing the one who's victorious so we can be victorious. Jesus, I thank you for rewriting generational legacy here today. 
I thank you that the brand and seal of love has been marked upon these people, not the brand of failure, of less than. I thank you for the, the image of beauty where there was ashes, joy for where there was mourning, praise for where there was heaviness. I thank you that you restore. I thank you that there is life that flows from your vine and that flows into our lives. And I thank you that we can be perfectly hidden in you and be okay with it. I thank you that we have no desire to be seen but Christ to be seen. So Lord, we love you. We are grabbing hold of this today. We will not be the generation that passes on failure any longer. We are a generation who passes on revival, who passes on life where there was no life. We are the generation who passes on intimacy where there was broken relationship. We are passing on beautiful, red, juicy apples where there was rotten fruit. And I thank you, God. I thank you that it's your will for victory. It is your will for successful lineage, for generational legacy. We recognize we can do nothing without you. And I thank you that a shift has happened in our mind today that no longer will I think about me and only me. I will think about the Father's legacy given to me that I will give to the one behind me. I thank you that we will think generationally instead of selfishly. And we will praise the move that our kids get to experience that was greater than any move we ever experienced. We will be proud, sanctified, proud parents. Lord, we love you. We bless you. It is in your name we pray, we praise, and we believe. Amen.